I, I heard it said when I was a college student going to chapel at Olivet Nazarene University, we had a speaker come in one time, and he was speaking for two days of chapel, and first day he came in and he greeted us and he said, hello sinners. That was kind of a off-putting, but everybody kind of accepted it. Yeah, like I'm a sinner. I get it. Like that's, I guess technically that's an okay way to refer to me. Um, and then the next day he came in and he said, hello saints. And what was weird was, I mean, I, I felt it and I asked my friends, we felt this kind of like that was way more uncomfortable to accept that name, right? Like, I didn't want to accept being called a sinner, but being called a saint? <laughs> hold, on, hold on, guy. <laughs> I'm not a saint. But the fact of the matter is, is the people of God who surrender to God's rule, who follow after the ways of God, while we are still sinners, he died for us, he loved us, and he does call us saints. He calls us to holiness. He calls us to righteousness. He calls us to look different than the rest of the world. And so this morning, I greet you the same way. Hello, sinners. Hello, saints. Because we are both um, at the same time. So it's good to be with you. Hey, I I just want to encourage you um, as you're continuing to worship this morning, as we go into the word, um, to not forget uh, your tithes and your offerings. Um, These are one of the ways that we act out in worship to our God. Um, and I'll also say, uh, in line with this, uh, that you giving to a place like Wapak Naz enables somebody like me uh, to have a job, um, to be paid, which it, you know I appreciate on a personal level. Um, but yesterday, I had the opportunity and privilege as your youth pastor to take a group of your teenagers to Mount Vernon Nazarene University to an event they call Sunfest over there, which is a Christian music festival. Um, They had six or seven uh, headliner music group bands, artists, um, food trucks, carnival games, all kinds of fun activities. And we spent the morning and afternoon and evening there. Uh, It was an all-day event. We got back about 11.30 last night. And um, I'm so thankful that I had the opportunity to do things like this. I'm thankful that because of your faithfulness, this is why I say this, because of your faithfulness, this church has the ability to do things like that. You probably don't think about it when you put a check in the offering box, the joy box, or when you make a payment online, but your tithes and your offerings enables the gospel message to be heard for teenagers, for kids upstairs, for people that you're not even coming into contact with. That's why we do those things and i'll also say in case there's any confusion or concern about it if if excess of tithe comes i don't get an increase in pay my pays it is what it is so i'm not doing a a shakedown here to try to get a little bonus here i mean christmas is coming so uh but no your faithfulness has allowed for that has allowed for me to be here for four years almost four years in two weeks Um, so thank you for being faithful Thank you for giving and worshiping God through your tithes and your offerings because it makes a difference. Enough about that. Moving forward, into forward. So we're in this series called Forward and uh, automatically for me, being a good youth group kid that I was in the early to mid 2000s, when I hear the word forward, I automatically think of a song 
by the band Reliant K called Forward Motion. And there's a line in the song that says, Forward motion is harder than it sounds. Every time I get some ground, I've got to turn myself around again. And that kind of repeats through the song. And, and, and what the band is illuminating there is this concept that is very subtle, but sometimes we lose it. The idea that going forward seems to be a very simple, straightforward, easy task, right? I want to grow in my relationship with God, so I'm going to read my Bible. That seems simple. That seems easy, right? That's going to do it. But the fact of the matter is, more often than not, something comes up that makes it a lot more complicated than it seemed to have been in the first place. And all of a sudden, all of this forward momentum that I thought I was getting, I don't feel like I've actually gotten anywhere. In fact, maybe I feel like I've backtracked. Going forward is not an easy task. We're, we're always moving on in life, but to actually progress, to actually move forward, to actually grow and achieve something else and, and to be more tomorrow than I am today is challenging. It's difficult. We're all getting older. We can't stop that. We're all progressing in age, but we're not always moving forward in life. So that's why we've been talking about this the last couple of weeks. Because it doesn't matter where you are in that age scale, there's always an opportunity, there's always a time to start today to move forward in your life. To find something else to progress you, to push you forward, to propel you, to, to, to get over obstacles, to avoid pitfalls, and to grow into a greater Christ-likeness. And so uh, the last couple of weeks we talked about different concepts, and I encourage you to go back if you haven't heard them. Um, to our Spotify or on our website. You can listen to the last couple of weeks' sermons on there um, that Stephen preached. But today we're going to talk about moving forward in forgiveness. I think there's really three options for us. When we talk about being wronged by somebody else, we have three choices to make in that moment, right? Number one, we can choose to ignore that. We can pretend like it wasn't that significant. Or we can downplay and be like, well, I mean, I kind of deserved it. Like, they shouldn't have done that, but I kind of deserved it. And so I'm not going to say anything about it. I'm going to just kind of let it sit and, and pretend like it didn't happen. And, and I'm still going to smile and love that person and, and, and just act like, eh, no big deal. Or, number two, we can choose to revenge it. How dare they treat me that way? I'm going, to, I'm going to get them tenfold. They did this to me, I'm going to do this and this back to them, right? And third, we can choose to forgive it. Now, it's no coincidence that I ordered them in this way. I think for a lot of us, we feel like we can't do the revenge it, right? That's we know I'm a good Christian person. I know I'm not supposed to revenge things, right? That's not the way I'm supposed to act. And so instead of revenge, we default most of the time to ignoring it. It's too hard to forgive it. And I don't really want to forgive it, but I know I'm not supposed to revenge it. So what else am I going to do? I'm going to just ignore it. 
Act like it didn't hurt. Act like it didn't happen. Act like, you know, uh, come up with terms and ideas of like, somehow I deserve that or I brought that upon myself. And I don't think that's the example we see in Scripture. And so allow me to read for us just briefly um, some of Jesus' words out of Matthew 18, and then we're going to then we're going to take a journey through a story. But in Matthew chapter 18, Jesus is sitting around with his disciples like he does. And he's having a little powwow. He's illuminating some things for them. And, and uh, Peter comes to him. I think it's Peter, right? Is it Peter? Yeah, it's Peter. Make sure. Peter comes to him and says, all right, Jesus, here's the deal. Um, I want to know, like, give me, give me the exact answer. How many times do I need to forgive somebody? Like, once I've forgiven them two or three, four times, like, when, when is it enough? And when will you say I'm justified in not forgiving them anymore? So Peter's looking for this, this solid answer. So let me read for us out of Matthew 18, uh, starting in verse 21. This is what happens. Peter approached him and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? As many as seven times? I tell you, not as many as seven, Jesus replied, but 70 times seven. For this reason, the kingdom of heaven can be compared to a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle accounts, one who owed uh, 10,000 talents was brought before him. Since he did not have the money to pay it back, his master commanded that he, his wife, his children, and everything he had be sold to pay the debt. At this, the servant fell face down before him and said, Be patient with me, and I will pay you everything. Then the master of that servant had compassion, released him, and forgave him the loan. That servant went out and found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. He grabbed him, started choking him, and said, Pay what you owe. At this, his fellow servant fell down and began begging him, Be patient with me, and I will pay you back. But he wasn't willing. Instead, he went and threw him into prison until he could pay what was owed. When the other servants saw what had taken place, they were deeply distressed and went and reported their master to their master everything that had happened. See, we have these options, right? When we're faced with a situation to decide whether or not we're going to ignore it, revenge it, or forgive it. And the thing about forgiveness is, is that forgiveness isn't a, a, a portion, right? Peter's asking the question, Jesus, how many times? Like, what's the limit? When can I cut it off and be okay and know that I'm a righteous man because I gave them seven times and then they did it again the eighth time. Now I don't have to forgive them. What's the limit, God? And Jesus gives them a math equation. Not seven times, seven times, 70 times. But Jesus isn't saying whatever that math equation answer is. He's not really saying that many times. What Jesus is saying is, it's not a number. You forgive them in fullness. You forgive them wholly, completely, without holding any reserve. Now this doesn't mean that we allow ourselves to be continually put in a position where we're mistreated or abused or any of those kind of things. But forgiveness isn't necessarily about what situation you find yourself in. It's about what are you harboring in your heart? What are you holding on to? Are you holding on to resentment? 
anger, pain, fear, suffering? And are you willing to forgive? So we're going to take a journey, like I said this morning, and, and there's going to be a lot of visual clues or, or visual uh, cues on the screen. I've got some pictures for us today because um, I like story times with pictures because we're going to be covering a pretty large span of Scripture. Um, so if you have your Bibles, I encourage you to turn to Genesis 37, and you can kind of follow along with us in there. I'm going to re- kind of recap for us as we're going through this journey uh, the story of a man named Joseph. And maybe you're familiar with Joseph's story. Maybe you're familiar with parts of Joseph's story. Um, and I, I don't want you to only know parts. I want to get this whole idea because what I want us to see here in Joseph's story is the theme of forgiveness that comes through the whole thing. And the way people chose to respond when pressed with, do I forgive, do I ignore, or do I revenge? And we'll see many of the times the best choices are not made. But we'll also see that God is in the midst of all of it. He's creating a plan for redemption and restoration through it all. So Genesis 37, I'm going to read a few verses to get us going here. Right at the beginning of the the 37th chapter. It says, Jacob lived in a land where his father had stayed, the land of Canaan. These are the family records of Jacob. At 17 years of age, Joseph tended sheep with his brothers. The young man was working with the sons of Bilal and Zilpah, his father's wives. And he brought a bad report about them to their father. Now Israel loved Joseph. Israel is also Jacob, uh, in case you're wondering. So Jacob and Israel are the same person. Now Israel loved Joseph more than his other sons because Joseph was a son born to him in his old age. And he made a robe of many colors for him. When his brothers saw that their father loved him more than all his brothers, they hated him and could not bring themselves to speak peaceably to him brothers are already at a crossroads they're already don't like this guy because their father clearly loves him more than them and has blessed them more than him and remember too, ancient culture especially the firstborn son was supposed to be the one who received the benefit of the inheritance Jacob knows this because there's another story about Jacob and his brother Esau that happens just a little bit before this. And it's a whole fiasco about a birthright. The brothers don't like Joseph because he's the youngest and he's taking priority. And so they can't even come to speak to him peaceably. Later on, as we go through the story, and you can see it in your Bible there in, in 37, chapter 37, Joseph is also a man who has dreams. And not only does he have dreams, but he likes to tell everybody about the dreams he has and interpret them for them and tell them about what they mean. And so in this dream, as you see pictured here, Joseph is, is laying down, and in the dream, he and his brothers have been uh, getting grain. And they've created all their bushels, and they stack them all up together. And then he says in the dream... All of his brother's bushels begin to bow down to Joseph's bushel. Now, if you're a younger brother, you know how well this went over with his older brothers. So they're like, this guy, 
can't believe he's saying this to us. That wasn't enough, though. So Joseph had another dream then. And in this dream, Joseph is laying down, and, and he looks up at the sky, and there's the sun, the moon, and 11 stars for his 11 brothers. And the sun is his father, and the moon is his mother. And in this dream, all of them are once again bowing down to Joseph. So now not only is it the brothers that are revering Joseph, but now he's also saying that their father and their mother are bowing down to Joseph. Now his brothers obviously began to get heated over this. And they began to wrestle with something that I think is all too common when we talk about forgiveness. And that's that fear hinders forgiveness. We maybe don't always think about it that way. But a lot of times the things that motivates us to not forgive is somehow rooted in a fear. Fear that it will happen again. Or that they won't reciprocate. Or that things won't get any better. We're afraid of something happening. And so we choose, I'm going to not forgive because what's the point? So the brothers develop a plot. And they decide, here's what we're going to do. We're going to teach this guy a lesson. A punk little brother is going to learn today not to mess with us. And so we're going to take him and we're going to throw him into this empty cistern over here just to kind of mess with him for a little bit. Now one of the brothers, originally the 10 of them wanted to just actually kill him. And one of them was like, no, 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 let's just teach him a lesson. We'll throw him in a pit and we'll leave him there for a little while, let him you know, freak out, and then we'll come back. He's like, I'm going to come back and I'm going to save him. But what happens as they throw him in the pit is they see a, a caravan of Egyptians coming by and they decide, oh, this is even better because we can also make a little bit of money off of this. We're going to sell him to the Egyptian caravan and now he'll be a slave to Egypt. And so you got to imagine they're sitting there talking to each other and they're saying, okay, uh, but what about our dad, right? Like he's going to be pretty mad if we come back and be like, oh yeah, we sold him to the Egyptians. So they say, okay, here's what we're going to do. We're going to take that coat that dad gave him. Yeah, that colorful one? Yeah. We're going to kill a goat. We're going to spill its blood all over that coat. We're going to take it back to dad and we're going to show him. And we're going to, he's going to think he was like mauled by a lion or a bear or something. And that this was all we could get back. This was all that was left of him. So that's exactly what they did. They took the bloodied coat to their father and said, Joseph's dead. no longer lives with us because they couldn't find it in them to forgive themselves or forgive Joseph for what they thought was this insult to their position, to their, their rightful place in the family. They developed a plot to remove him from their lives entirely and with really little care of what happened to him. I mean, slaves are not generally thought to be well-treated people. So for all they knew, the Egyptians might have killed Joseph before he even got back to Egypt. Joseph ends up going to Egypt and he rises to prominence in Potiphar's house. And Potiphar was one of the chief guards uh, in Pharaoh's court. And, and, and uh, Joseph was well-liked, well-respected, uh, until Potiphar's wife one day saw something that she wanted, namely Joseph. 
And so she set out to seduce him. And Joseph, being a man of respect and integrity, rebuffed that seduction. He said, no, no, no. Nope, not going there. That's not happening. So Potiphar's wife, insulted, angry, set out to once again revenge. And so she goes to Pharaoh or to, to Potiphar and she says, hey, uh, your servant Joseph, he came on to me the other day. In fact, he assaulted me. Uh, she literally makes the claim that Joseph sexually assaulted her. So naturally, Joseph gets thrown into prison, right? Because now the slave has done the unspeakable, the despicable. And so Joseph gets thrown into prison. All that respect destroyed. A couple weeks later, a couple other of Potiphar's uh, servants get thrown into prison. His cupbearer and his baker. And once you know it, the cupbaker and the bearer both have a couple of dreams as well. And in the, the cupbearer's dream, long story short, he dreams of his redemption and his restoration into Potiphar's household. And in the baker's dream, he dreams of his destruction. And wouldn't you know it, it comes to pass that both of those dreams come to fruition. The baker, a couple weeks later, is restored to his rightful place. And as he's leaving the prison, Joseph says, hey, remember me. Like, t tell, tell the Pharaoh, tell Potiphar how, uh, how great it was to be with me here in prison. Remember, remember me that I helped you uh, help me uh, try to use some of that influence again that you got to get me out of prison. And the baker is then executed. Well, the cupbearer, once restored to his place, he forgets about Joseph, right? Life's good again. And for two more years, Joseph sits in prison. Two more years, he finds himself waiting. Then the Pharaoh has a dream. And in this dream, he sees seven fat cows and seven skinny cows. And in the first dream, he has uh, seven skinny cows getting eaten by seven fat cows. And in the second dream, he has seven fat cows getting eaten by seven skinny cows, right? So just the reverse of the two stories. And he can't, for the life of him, figure out what this dream means. And he calls all of his servants, all of his help, all of the wisest people in the, in the kingdom to help him understand this dream. And none of them can interpret it. None of them know what the heck this means. Right? I, I don't know. Like, it's kind of weird. Seven fat calves, seven skinny calves. I don't know what that means. Finally, the cupbearer remembers, oh yeah, two years ago, there was that guy Joseph in prison. I wonder if he's still there. He helped me understand my dream and, and I came back here. So maybe, maybe the Pharaoh uh, would appreciate Joseph coming and, and helping illuminate him on his dream. So Joseph comes, right? And, uh, and, Pharaoh tells him the dream of the, the calves, and, and Joseph says, here's the, here's the, dang, here's the deal. Uh, essentially what this means is you're going to have seven years of overabundance, right? The seven fat calves eating the skinny calves, you're going to have great harvests, plentiful food, plentiful water, all this great stuff. And then after that, it's going to come seven years of famine when the skinny calves ate the fat calves. Seven years of scraps, scarcity, 
hardly enough. And so the Pharaoh obviously is pleased with this interpretation and, and for Joseph helping him understand his dream. And so he rewards Joseph. He pulls him out of prison, prison and he, he makes him part of his, uh, his body, his governing body. And Joseph sets out to create a plan for this, right? If this is really going to happen, these seven years of, of overabundance, we're going to start to set aside things. We're going to set aside produce. We're going to set aside uh, our harvests, and we're going to store up for that famine that's coming. And sure enough, it came. And the famine was so bad that it spread across the land, not just Egypt, but the neighboring lands too. And wouldn't you know it, Joseph's brothers were struggling for food. They didn't have enough because they didn't have Pharaoh's dream and they didn't have anybody to interpret Pharaoh's dream to know that in seven years after all this plenty, you know, they were just living high, enjoying all the, the harvest. And then after those seven years went by, all of a sudden now we're in famine and the brothers are struggling. And so they make a trip to Egypt because everybody's heard that Egypt somehow has enough to go around. And so the brothers go and they meet with Joseph, although they don't know it's Joseph. They don't recognize him. Of course, they probably think he's dead. So they're not thinking to look for Joseph either. But Joseph recognizes his brothers. And Joseph, this is where Joseph begins to feel this struggle, this torment of how do I respond? Joseph has all of the power and they don't even recognize him. Joseph can literally do anything to enact revenge, and they wouldn't even be the wiser to it. And if he was worried about hurting his mom or his dad's feelings, once again, they don't know it's Joseph. They just think it's some dictator, ruler over in, in Egypt that's imposing this harsh rule and judgment on them. And so Joseph begins to kind of test them a little bit. He wants to see, like, where are these guys at? I mean, these are the guys that threw me in a pit and sold me into slavery. His ability to enact revenge was literally at his fingertips. And I think he wanted to. I think he was motivated to enact revenge, but he was trying to make it as good as it could possibly be. So he, pl he played a slow game here. And so they begin to talk, and as they're talking and discussing, it comes out that, oh, their father, Jacob, has actually had another son. Now there's 13 boys, and Joseph isn't the youngest now. Now there's a new youngest, Benjamin. And so Joseph is like, wait, I have a, I have a brother? And this, this brother was born of the same mother, so it's a full brother, whereas the other 10 were half-brothers. Um, I, have, I have a little brother. And so Joseph says, all right, what, here's what I want you to do. I'm going to give you enough for the, for the trip and your time. And I want you to go back to your father's house and bring that little brother with you. Bring him back here. And I'll, then I'll know how sincere you are and how much you really care about this. And they said, well, if anything happened to our brother, it would just, it would destroy our father's heart. Like, he, he wouldn't live past it. It would absolutely devastate him. And he said, listen, I'm telling you what it is. Like, if you don't come back with Benjamin, you're not getting the food you want. So decide what you want to do. Either come back with that boy or don't come back at all. 
And so they decide, well, I guess that's what we've got to do. They began to wonder, though, the brothers, and he, Joseph heard them talking in front of him. This guy's being really harsh with us. Being really difficult with us. Maybe, do you think that it's because of the way we treated Joseph before? Are we being punished now for the way we treated Joseph? And scripture talks about there in that spot where Joseph hears them, right? And they still don't know it's him, right? But Joseph begins to well up a little bit because he's hearing that remorse in their voices, that sorrow for their choices and their actions. And maybe Joseph is beginning to think, man, maybe, maybe I don't get him back. But that revenge is so tempting still. And so they go. One of them stays behind, as per their agreement, in prison until they come back with Benjamin. Because um, Joseph didn't want to let him just go away and not come back. So they brought him back, and, uh, and Joseph gave him the hookup. Like he said, I'm going to give you all this food. In fact, I'm going to give you some money too. Like, you guys are going to be good to go. And as they're getting ready to leave and go back home, right? Joseph kind of just wanted to see his brother at this point. And as they're getting ready to go back home, Joseph is still wondering, like, how sincere are these guys? Would they do to Benjamin what they did to me? And so he slips a piece of silver, his silver cup, inside Benjamin's bag. And he waits for them to leave. And then he... As they've gone a little ways, he rounds up his guards and he says, Guards, I've lost my silver cup. Go check with those Israelites down the road. Make sure they didn't steal it from me. So the guards come and stop them. And they search through their belongings. And wouldn't you know it, right there in Benjamin's bag, little, little boy Benjamin was a silver cup that Joseph had planted. So the guards bring him back, right? You've stolen now from our kingdom after we've tried to be gracious and bless you and so joseph plays this game a little bit and he's being harsh and direct and he says listen you can't just steal from us and get away with it so i'm going to let you guys go and take your food still but the one who stole my cup is going to be my personal slave he's going to stay here the rest of you can go i don't need you the one who stole is the one i want he set up a position where once again, the brothers have an opportunity to get, get off scot-free and just get rid of their little brother. Although this time, it plays out a little bit differently. I think it's Simeon in the story who chimes up and says, no. Like, remember what we said before, like our father, our father will literally die if we don't come back with Benjamin. Take me instead. Like, let Benjamin go. I'll take his place. I'll be your slave for the rest of my life. Let my brother go. Once again, Joseph is somewhat overcome with emotion in this moment because this is a very different position than what he was in when his brother sold him into slavery. They were ready to get rid of Joseph at any cost. And now his brothers are standing up for their little brother, protecting him, defending him, risking their own lives for it. 
Genesis 45. Starting verse 1, it says this, Joseph could no longer keep his composure in front of all of his attendants. So he called out, send everyone away from me. No one was with him when he revealed his identity to his brothers. But he wept so loudly that the Egyptians heard it. And also Pharaoh's household heard it. Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Is my father still living? But they could not answer him because they were terrified in his presence. Then Joseph said to his brothers, please come near me. And they came near. I am Joseph, your brother, he said, the one you sold into Egypt. And now don't be grieved or angry with yourselves for selling me here because God sent me ahead of you to preserve life. For the famine has been in the land these two years and there will be five more years without plowing or harvesting. God sent me ahead of you to establish you as a remnant within the land and to keep you alive by great deliverance. Joseph had every reason imaginable, that's the word I'm looking for, not to forgive his brothers. For one, they couldn't even hold it against him because they didn't even know it was him. And for two, he had all the power, all the position all the status. Joseph was okay. Egypt was all right. They were going to make it through this famine. They had five more years, but they were going to be fine. He could have sent his brothers off and just said, good luck. See you later. Or he could have revealed himself and been like, you remember your brother Joseph? Yeah, that's me. Guess what? You ain't getting nothing. See ya. Could have. And let's be honest, that's a lot easier than the torment he went through emotionally here. See, Joseph went through something in order to forgive his brothers. He relived the pain. He relived that distrust that they showed him. He relived that last, I don't know how many years it was, in between. And I believe Joseph probably at some point, and and probably with some kind of frequency, thought about his brothers and his family back home. But at the same time, he'd probably kind of just said, well, this is life now. And I've made a good life for myself. And, And life's okay, and I don't need to worry about that anymore. So Joseph could have very easily chosen to ignore it or revenge it. And not many people would have blamed him. But instead, he chose to forgive. But I want you to catch something else in this. That forgiveness has a ripple effect. That forgiveness is sometimes something we give to other people, but sometimes it's something we have to bestow on ourselves. We have to allow ourselves to be forgiven by seeking forgiveness. And although the brothers didn't know it was Joseph standing in front of him, them until he revealed himself, 
what they were doing in those moments when they were saying, maybe we're being punished because of the way we treated Joseph. No, 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 no. Don't take Benjamin. We've learned from that. We did that before, and that didn't work out. We're choosing a different path today. And when they chose to act in a way, a repentant way, a way that sought forgiveness for their actions, a way that said, I've learned from the things I've done that were wrong, and now I'm choosing to do something right. When they did that, that's when Joseph snapped. That's when Joseph began to weep because he realized something's changed. Things aren't the way they were back then, right? As much as he wanted to live in that moment of how things were back then, revenge puts you back in that place. Revenge says, the only moment of my life that matters with my relationship with my brothers is when they threw me in a pit and sold me into slavery. But that wasn't the life the brothers were leading then. And it wasn't the life Joseph was leading then. And so Joseph instead chose to forgive. And if you and I want to move forward in our lives, one of the chief things that we have to do is forgive. Forgiveness ripples from you to others and from others to you. Forgiveness is not an individual task. Forgiveness is something that happens in community. Sometimes you don't see the benefit. You don't see how it impacts somebody else, but it always has an impact on others. Whenever we choose to forgive ourselves or others, it always has an impact. And so if you and I want to move forward, we have to be willing to sometimes relive the hard stuff. We can't choose to ignore it because ignoring it only exacerbates it and it builds and it grows and it wells up under the surface until it finally erupts like a geyser. Ignoring it works for a time, but it's not permanent. And we could choose to revenge it because revenge is permanent but revenge is like throwing weed killer on top of a flower that you're trying to grow. Emptying a whole bucket of weed killer on top of those begonias or whatever you're planting in your yard. Those flowers aren't going to grow. They're not. So if you want the flowers to grow, you've got to do the hard work. You've got to tend to it. You've got to seek to understand it better. You've got to allow it to be in a place where the roots can grow deep. And you've got to nurture it. So this morning as we move to closing, maybe there's something on your heart that you know this morning, I need to, I need to forgive that person for that. I've been holding on to it. And... and they probably don't even know I'm holding on to it because every time I've seen them, I've acted like that's not a big deal. Uh, no, you didn't offend me. That was fine. No, you're fine. It's, it's okay. But really what we've done is we've just hold, held on to it. And that resentment has just set. And that pain has just set. And the longer we let it sit, the worse the problem becomes.
maybe you chose to make that move, movement from away, away from ignoring it, and you've revenged some things. You've sought to make it right in your own righteousness. Apostle Paul tells us, he, he confesses himself, there's no righteousness in Paul, but God's righteousness. So when we do things fulfilling our own righteousness, it's pretty crummy. If we want our lives to be righteous, we follow the ways of Jesus and we choose to forgive. Because even Jesus, as he hung on that cross, as nails were driven through his hands and his feet, and he was pierced in his side and the crown of thorns was placed on his head and he's bleeding, he's dehydrated, he's literally suffocating as he's hanging on the cross because he can't breathe, because his lungs can't open up, and he's as asphyxiating. Jesus calls out and says, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Forgive those who are literally killing me. Forgive those who literally are cheering for my death. And if Jesus can forgive that, then I believe he can empower us through the work of the Holy Spirit to forgive whatever it is you're, you're holding on to today. Whatever it is. So this morning we're going to close in prayer. And I encourage you to Lift those things up to the Lord. And if it's possible, if it's in your power to do so, don't just pray about it. Prayer is important. Prayer is powerful. We don't want to de-emphasize that. But if there is something you can do on this earthly realm to make amends, to seek forgiveness, to give forgiveness, it's going to be painful. It's going to be uncomfortable. And the person you might be forgiving might not have thought about that instance in 20 years. But it's time. It's time to forgive it and grow and move forward. Heavenly Father, so thankful for your word. And even in these moments when it makes me uncomfortable, because it challenges me and it convicts me and it, it calls me to a, a deeper walk with you that's, well, quite frankly, it's just hard. And sometimes I don't, I don't want a hard life. I want an easy life. I want things to just come together. I, I want things to just go with the flow. But that's not the life we're called to lead. God, you call us to be radical in our following after you and God today I ask that you help us do that embody that, be that by the way we choose to forgive others and for those in this room who are holding on to their own guilt and their own shame and they are their own 11 brothers they've thrown themselves in the pit, they've sold themselves into slavery God, may they forgive themselves. May they seek you with their hearts, with their soul, with their minds, with every fiber of their being. 
Jesus, will you bless this place? As we leave this place, may we be emboldened and encouraged to be people who are forgiving people. Because forgiveness is one of the best ways we show love for others. Jesus, I love you. I ask this in your holy name. Amen. You'd stand and I'll give the benediction this morning as you go. May you love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength. May you forgive as Christ has forgiven us. And may you go in his peace today. Be loved people, loving people to Jesus.